So, good morning. Who, who was here last week? Who heard the Eva here or in Wellingborough? Excellent. Um, so, as you would know, if you, you, you were here last week, you'll know that we've, we've started a, a new series. Uh, in this year, we, we've got a theme that we talked about at the at Big Church, which is all about going deep and wide. It's about how we get closer to becoming a little bit more like Jesus, to so being with Jesus and becoming more like him and know Jesus more. And as part of this spiritual journey, as part of this journey, we've been really looking at how we become more spiritually mature. And uh, one of the, the quotes that comes out of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, which is, is a book that I'll make reference to a little bit more in a moment, is that you can't be spiritually mature whilst being emotionally immature. And it was in this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, get that up, by Peter Scazzaro, he says that emotional health and spiritual health are inseparable, that we are integrated emotional and spiritual beings. So during the first two months of this year, we're spending time looking at this thing, this concept called being emotionally, or looking at this thing called emotionally healthy spirituality. And we will be using this book by the same name, by Peter Scazzaro, as a source for some of our talks. So if you really want to go even deeper on some of this stuff, I know that you will be getting emails out. Um, who got emails this week out on this? Excellent. Um, so there's, there's a self-assessment that you can do, so you can kind of check where you're at, where you think you are emotionally. Um, that, that can open a few eyes when it comes back and says you're emotionally immature, Paul. Thank you very much. Um, but I do recommend that you do some of these things, and we do highly recommend you following along in this book, if you can. So today, we're continuing this series by looking at how our past influences our emotional being and how actually we need to go back to examine our past in order to move forward. Now, for some of you, that just feels wrong. That looking back to the past is really, it really isn't something that you want to do. It's really not something that you feel you should do. In fact, many of us in the past have used scripture to support the view of never looking back to the past. Everyone's heard of, hopefully, 2 Corinthians 5.17, where it says, Therefore, everyone is in Christ. He is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And that's certainly true. But many would use that verse to say we don't need to look back. As the old is past, we are new creations. Why mess things up by digging up the past and looking at the past? Others would point to the story of Lot's wife. I don't know if you know this story, but it's in the Old Testament. And, and Lot, when they, would, they were leaving the, the city of Sodom and it was being destroyed, and Lot's wife looked back. The angels had warned her and said to her, don't look back while Sodom is being destroyed. Don't look back. What did she do? She looked back and she became a pillar of salt. And let's be honest, no one wants to become a pillar of salt. So therefore, don't look back. Don't look at the past. But despite those verses or stories sometimes being used to justify not looking back at the past, 
to ignore how the past has formed or shaped us, our experience, and the narratives of the Bible paints a very different picture. That actually there is this tension that we live in. Yes, the old is past, the old is past and we are a new creation, but also the old ways of our family, the old ways of our culture, still very much, they're still very much present in our lives today. Still present in our relationships, still present in our discipleship to Jesus. As Peter Scazzaro says in his book, Jesus may be in your heart, but grandpa is in your bones. That if we're not aware of how we have been shaped by our families and culture, then we run the risk of repeating patterns of behavior that are inconsistent with being followers of Jesus. So I've got two simple yet profound questions I want to think about. Why do we even need to look at our past and how do we go back so that we can go forward? And with these questions in mind, we're going to turn to Exodus 34. So if you have a Bible with you, whether that's physical or electronic, then, then start to turn to Exodus 34. Um, we will be starting at verse 5. If you don't have a Bible with you, then don't worry about it, because as you can see, we've got them up on the screen. But generally, I would recommend bringing a Bible along. You can get a free app if you've got an electronic um, device with you, just to make sure and just to confirm that we're not making this stuff up. So, just a bit of context for you. If you're unfamiliar with this bit of the Bible, Moses has gone up to Mount Sinai to receive the Ten Commandments from God. For the second time. Why the second time? Well, it's a long story. It involves a golden calf and Moses kind of losing it a little bit, probably quite understandably, he loses his patience with the Israelites and breaks the first set. So he's going up again to receive the commandments again. And so before God gives Moses the commandments, he comes down in this cloud before Moses and announces his name. Now, the thing about this is that his name describes who he is. It describes his personality. It describes his character. And it's really fascinating what he says here. If you want to know more about this, there, there is a, gr a great book, and it is fascinating, by John Mark Comer, and the title of which is called God Has a Name. And it goes into great detail on all of the various parts that we're about to read. We don't have time for that today. We're just going to focus on, on one bit. But if you're interested in that, I do recommend the book. So, Exodus 34, 5 to 7. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and stood there with him and proclaimed his name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands. Some translations say, some, say, some translations say to thousand generations. And forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the parents to the third and the fourth generation. I want to focus on that last sentence. 
as cheerful as it is. I think what we can do is we can draw a minimum that the blessings and the sins of our fathers have impact, lasting for at least three to four generations. So in other words, to us, that's our great-grandparents or our great-great-grandparents. What happens in one generation often gets repeated or the impact of it is felt in the next. Many Hebrew scholars say that the Hebrew in Exodus 34.7 is best translated as, as God bringing the consequences rather than punishing the children. If we look at the Hebrew, which sadly I do, uh, the word used in 34.7 is avon, which is best translated as the consequences of sin. This is opposed to chata'ah, which is talking about the punishment of sin. So in other words, children experience the consequences of the sins of their fathers rather than being punished for the sins of their fathers. It's a subtle difference, but I think it's really important for what we have to say today. The Holman Christian Standard Bible, HCSB translation, puts it this way. But he will not leave guilty will not leave the guilty unpunished, bringing the consequences of the father's wrongdoing on the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generation. Not only do we know this is true from our own experiences, but also we see it in the Bible. In the Old Testament, some of the greatest heroes of our faith fell victims to these patterns of previous generations, these patterns of behaviours that have been repeated. Let's look at just a few examples, just, uh, just involving Abraham, the father of uh, the Jewish faith, Isaac, his son, Jacob, his grandson, Joseph, his great-grandson, and all his brothers. So four generations. First of all, there's a pattern of lying. Abraham, if you read the Old Testament, lies multiple times about Sarah, his wife, denying that she is his wife. Then Isaac, Abraham's son, did exactly the same thing. He lied to King Abimelech about Rebekah being his wife, exactly the same way that his father had. In fact, I'd go so far as to say Isaac and Rebekah's entire marriage was characterized by lies. They were just so many. Then Jacob, Isaac's son, lies to pretty much everyone. In fact, his name meant deceiver, figuratively. Then Jacob, who was then renamed Israel by God, his sons all lie about their brother Joseph. They claimed he is killed by a wild animal when in fact they sold him into slavery. They took this lie so far they even had a funeral and faked mourning for their dead brother. It looks like a pattern to me. I don't know about you. But it's not the only one. We see in that same family a pattern of favoritism. We see that Abraham favours Ishmael. Isaac favours Esau. Jacob favours Joseph and then later Benjamin. And yet another pattern in exactly the same family is that of sibling rivalry between brothers. Isaac and Ishmael fought. 
Jacob and Esau had massive rivalry and fought. Joseph and his 10 brothers. You can't take rivalry much further than trying to kill your brother. I think I've made my point. Generation patterns of behavior because of family of origin or culture are clear to see in the Bible. But if we're honest, we also see them today to one degree or another in our own families. We are the product of broken families, the product of broken paths. We all, to some extent, have experienced brokenness in our past, in our families. Because no matter how great your family was or is, your parents, your grandparents, we are all broken, sinful human beings. None of us are perfect. None of our families are perfect. We have all inherited some kind of baggage. Yes, we've inherited good things, but we've also inherited bad things. And the truth of the matter is that often we are unaware of what those things are. We are unaware of the patterns of behavior that we are at risk of inheriting or repeating. You know, our families, our culture have an influence, I believe, on on 10 major areas in our life. Now, stick with me as I go through these areas. Some of them may be a little familiar to you already. Some of them might be like a light bulb turning on for you. And so with that in mind, we will have time at the end of the service for ministry um, because for some of you, this might get a little bit raw. And, and also, just a heads up, um, there is good news. It's not all doom and gloom. Uh, as We will look at the good news once we've gone through this, le- this list and these areas. So, so as I said, do stick with me. So let's look at some of the behavioral patterns that could be part of our family DNA, patterns that have been unconsciously imprinted upon us, things that we've just learned by being part of a culture or being part of a family that aren't actually aligned to being a disciple of Jesus. So let's start with the first one, money. Maybe you've heard money is the best source of security. Or maybe the, the, the phrase, the more money that you have, the more important you are. Or you make lots of money to prove that you have made it. In the area of conflict, you may have been brought up or learned to avoid conflict at all costs. You may have learned, don't get people mad at you. Or that loud, the flip side, that loud, angry, constant fighting is normal. In the area of sex, yes, I have a slide that has sex on. So we could say that (coughs) is not to be spoken about openly. Men can be promiscuous. Women have to be chaste. Or you could have learned that sexuality within marriage will come easily. 
in the area of grief and loss. You may have learned that sadness is a sign of weakness. Or that you're not allowed to be depressed. Just get over losses quickly and move on. In the area of expressing anger, you could have learned that anger is dangerous and bad. Or the flip of that, you may have learned that actually explode in anger in order to make a point. Or a subtle one, sarcasm is an acceptable way to release anger. In the area of family, it could be that you're brought up to or have learned that you owe or believe that you owe your parents for everything they've done for you, that you owe them. Or that you don't speak about your family's dirty laundry in public. Or this is one that I see quite a lot, being married to, to Esther, who's, who's uh, Singaporean Chinese, very Asian, this, this particular culture. Duty to family and culture comes before everything. In the area of relationships, don't trust people, they will only let you down. Or nobody will ever hurt me again. So you start to put up a wall so that nobody can. Or that you don't show vulnerability. Attitudes to different cultures. Could be that you've learned only be close friends with people who are like you. Or do not marry a person of another race or culture. Or even certain cultures or races are not as good as mine. In the era of success, it could be that you've been taught that success is getting into the best schools. Or success is making lots of money. Or that success is getting married and having children. And so therefore, if you don't achieve those things, you view yourself as not being successful. And finally, the final area is in the area of feelings and emotions. Could be that you've been taught that you're not allowed to have certain feelings, that your feelings are not important, or reacting with your feelings without thinking is okay. These behaviors, these thoughts, these patterns are not exhaustive. We could easily add to the list that we had up there. So I'm going to ask you what unconscious messages have you received from your family of origin or your culture that perhaps are not congruent or in other words consistent with being a follower of Jesus okay so this is where it gets real in in the vineyard we, we kind of have this thing called a distinctive one of the distinctives we have is quite often referred to as leaders with a limp. What does that mean? Well, leaders with a limp, what that means is that everyone that you see up the front here, everyone who's in a leadership position within the church, we're not perfect. 
And you know what? We embrace that. We truly embrace that. Often on a Sundays, we're talking as much to ourselves as we are talking to you. We believe that through sharing our experiences, our pain and our struggles, as well as our victories and success, we can encourage you all that you are not alone. So with that in mind, let me share something with you. I'm not going to tell you to turn the recording off, although I might do, depending on how bad this goes. Before I met Jesus, and if I'm honest, for a while afterwards, I was an angry young man. Um, Perhaps now I'm just a grumpy old man, but I'll let Esther, my long-suffering wife, confirm that or not. Before I came to the Lord, I was angry at the world, angry with anyone who dared to disagree with me. I was subject to bouts of rage and violence. I got involved in physical, life-threatening fights, no exaggeration, on more than one occasion. Then I met Jesus and I became perfect. Maybe not. Despite knowing Jesus, I still had this rage inside. I was getting better at masking it because, after all, I was a Christian now. But it was still there. But I was also a leader in the church. Not this one, but still a leader. I was in a church in London, and we had what we Uh, You may be familiar with it. If you're familiar with Alpha, we had something called the Alpha Weekend Away, the Holy Spirit Weekend. And as a leader, I was going along to help out. It wasn't about me. It was about me helping those who didn't have a relationship with Jesus encounter the Holy Spirit. So it was nothing to do with me. At least that's what I thought the Holy Spirit has different ideas. He usually does. So whilst I was praying for someone, the Holy Spirit hit me in a massive way. And then God revealed memories that I had suppressed completely since childhood. Let me take a step back and give some more context. My parents divorced when I was 11 years old. As the older brother, I very quickly became the man of the household. I had to grow up quickly. Esther says that's probably why I'm such a big kid today. But once again, that's, that's just a rumor. As well as feeling this extra responsibility, I had a very distant relationship with my father. I hated it when my younger brother and I had to go to my father's house for the weekend. My brother, for some reason, had absolutely no issue. He got great with my father. But I could never work out why I was so distant to my father. But that also had a massive impact on my relating to God as my father. We sang that song earlier, Good, Good Father. If back in the Stone Age, when I became a Christian, we'd had that song, 
I wouldn't have been able to sing it. I wouldn't have been able to relate to it. It was impacting my relationship with God. There was no father love, no relationship that I could draw upon as an example. Back to the Holy Spirit we came. So the presence of God was incredible and then the memories just unlocked. I remember how my father treated my mother, the frequent outbursts of anger, the time when he threw her out of a moving car, the time when he would threaten to kill me when I got in between him and her. All memories that I had suppressed. And then God revealed that was why I struggled with anger and why I had no relationship or love for my father. He also revealed his love for me in a way that previously I just could not comprehend. That revelation was the beginning of a complete turnaround in my relationship with God, but also with my father. More on that in a moment. So by understanding the root cause of my anger, I was able to seek prayer and begin the process of putting off this sinful pattern and behavior in my life. And it is a a process. Discipleship with Jesus does not result in an immediate 100% change overnight. Yes, when I'm stressed, I still get angry. Never physically, but I've been known to shout a bit. Just ask my lovely daughters, I'm sure they'll confirm that. But it is a journey that I continue to be on with Jesus. And that is the good news. We are not called to stay as we are. We do not remain as we are. Our biological family of origin does not determine our future. God does. Through Christ, we have been adopted into a new family, God's family. We start to inherit through the Holy Spirit the behaviours and patterns that are consistent with being a follower of Jesus. That is what discipleship with Jesus is all about. Only by going back and recognising the brokenness and sinful patterns in our biological family and culture can we move forward. We cannot change what we are unaware of. Going back briefly to my own story. Understanding the baggage about my own father and my relationship with him has enabled me with the help of the Holy Spirit to completely transform my relationship with my dad. Up until about seven years ago, so when I was 18, um, I'd never, ever heard my father say that he loved me. Never. And I equally had never said I loved him. But the journey that I'd been on with God for the last 28 years or so 
led me at Christmas seven years ago to be able to tell my father that I loved him. And more importantly, to mean it. To my surprise, he told me that he loved me too. And then we hugged, not something that us vil men are particularly known for, but it was just a, it's a transforming thing for our relationship. My, um, I don't want to get you down too much, guys, but um, my, my aunt on my father's side died on, on, sadly on New Year's Day. Um, it was after a long fight with cancer. And so on Wednesday, I went down to Crawley to go to a funeral um, for my dad's sister. And I was just reflecting, knowing that this was coming up today, and I was just reflecting how much the relationship had changed, how, how close we had become, how I could be there to support him, to help him through this, this tough time. And the emotion and the love that I felt for him was so genuine. And I would never have been there. I would never have got there. I probably wouldn't even have bothered going to the funeral if it hadn't been for Jesus. If it hadn't been for the way that God had revealed that to me all those years ago and helped me to transform my relationship, not only to him, but also to my father. So it's never too late to go back in order to go forwards. Let me just end on these two essential biblical truths from the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality book, and then we'll have some, some time for ministry. Going back in order to go forward can be summed up by these two biblical truths. One, the blessings and sins of our families going back two to three generations profoundly impact who we are today. And secondly, discipleship requires putting off the sinful patterns of our family of origin and relearning how to do life God's way in God's family. If you're able to, then let's stand. Thank you, Father. <laughs> yes, thank you, Father. Mm. Think. You need to know. You need to know what's happened in your family, what the patterns are, what the behaviours are in order to move forward. And some of the things that perhaps I've said today may have struck a chord, may have been something you've, you've recognised, maybe for the first time, and I'm conscious of that this morning. I'm also conscious that as we went through that, that list, there might have been, oh man, yeah, no, that, that's something I think or I believe. But I want to I wanna say that, that, that that's not a bad thing. 
It's not a bad thing that you can recognize that. But the good news is we do not have to stay like that. We don't have to stay like that. God determines our future, not our biological family, not the behaviours of previous generations. But we do have to recognise them, to deal with them, to ask God to deal with them, and to move forward. So as I invite the Holy Spirit to come this morning, just just want you to think about what potential behaviours or patterns have you inherited? And just ask for the Holy Spirit to help you recognise those and also to, to help you know how to move forward, to ask for forgiveness for them or repentance for them in order to move forward.